0: You're listening to Version Control, Pounding Rains digital news podcast. Video games have come a long way. Consoles have evolved from the Atari to the N64 to the Playstation and Xbox we know and love today. We've watched gaming go mobile with handheld devices like the original Game Boy, Nintendo DS, and now the increasingly popular Nintendo Switch. And that's just the systems. Over the last 30 to 40 years, developers have devoted their lives to improving games and turning them into engaging, cinematic masterpieces like Red Dead Redemption 2 blurring the lines between interactive gaming and entertainment.
1: Video gaming is no longer viewed as just a hobby to be scoffed at as a waste of time. It's a huge industry with a growing number of possibilities. Gaming is a career for some, and a lucrative one at that. For example, some of YouTube's most popular gamers like Markiplier, PewDiePie, and Ninja make millions of dollars. Hello everybody,
0: my name is Markiplier and welcome to Getting Over It with Bennett Foddy. This game is going to be totally fair, not rage-inducing at all, and I'm going to keep my sanity in this. Twitch and Discord were quick to catch on to the popularity of watching others play, but took it a level further by creating a community for fans to engage with other fans and the gamers themselves. And now, video games are becoming even more accessible. The question is, which tech company will be dubbed the Netflix of gaming?
1: First up, Apple. They're taking the App Store, the world's most successful and vibrant gaming platform with almost 300,000 games, to a whole new level. Apple Arcade is the world's first game subscription service. Set to launch with over 100 new original games, Apple Arcade will be available on all Apple devices, thus locking people into their ecosystem.
0: Apple Arcade is about giving developers the freedom to come up with really interesting ideas that could never have been done by the mainstream. Everything is changing. Stadia, a new gaming platform from Google, will allow gamers to play across multiple devices, including the ones they already own without having to purchase any hardware or download any games. It makes sense that streaming and cloud gaming would be the next big thing, but what's interesting about Sadia is the promise of innovative, integrated experiences like playing via YouTube. Even Microsoft has plans to compete in the evolving game space Project xCloud, an initiative aimed at bringing the quality of console gaming to mobile devices.
1: So, what does this mean for marketers? First of all, it's now more clear than ever that brands need to engage and interact, not just entertain. Netflix has caught on to this with their interactive shows like Black Mirror, Bandersnatch, and You vs. Wild. Do I go up and face the mountain lion, or do I take my chances with the abyss? My adventure is up to you. Across the board, gaming is no longer about playing alone in a dark basement. It's social, and it's about being part of a community. Gaming allows people to interact with each other, whether in person, like with Pokemon Go, or remotely, like through live Twitch stream chats. Second of all, if most of everything we've talked about so far is news to you, you've gotta catch up and denubify yourself. Advertisers need to be in the know on gaming and the way it's evolving and becoming more mainstream than ever before. And what better way to do that than continue to listen?
0: Version Control presents episode 45 The Future of Gaming. All noobs welcome. Hey guys, it's your main man Nick here, back for another edition of Version Control. Here beep we go. Beep 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 beep. Beep. Just that joking. Was, that was the best intro. Yeah, we're not actually going to do that though. What Aww. we're actually going to do is version control episode 45 is here and today we're talking about gaming and we're just going to do a quick round the horn round the clock we're going to do around the table to see who exactly we're talking to here first of all we have mark cameron hello everybody he's a designer i am scott i control the timer he controls the timer on the podcast and many other things in his role as creative director here at pound and grain and then we have Ivana.
1: That's me. I pretend to know what I'm talking about.
0: And she often does as a writer and general creative person. And then it's Nick. That's me. So what are we talking about today, guys? Ivana, this, kind of, this one's kind of your, uh, your baby. You want to start us off?
1: Sure. So today we're talking all about video games. And uh, although I'm really excited about this topic, I would consider myself a relative relatively new gamer. Um, I've only recently, I mentioned this on the last episode, purchased my first system, which is the Switch. Um, and that's been my intro to the world of gaming. Besides like, you know, having noob. a Game Boy. Yeah, I'm a new basically, <laughs> but I love it. And it's a new world. And it's a good time to be entering the, the world of gaming because it's really evolving and taking off. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So let's start with how have you guys noticed how video games have evolved?
2: It's funny that you, you kicked it off with like entering the world of gaming, because I think as gaming evolves, it becomes less about gaming and more just part of the pantheon of entertainment. Like Nick and I were talking earlier, sometimes you don't even know that you're playing a video game. That's how far video gaming has evolved, I think. Do you have an example of that? Like Bandersnatch? I think Bandersnatch is a video game, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Like a, you're sitting there and you're controlling the character in the story and you you determine the outcome and stuff like that. Um, And it's just like you didn't really realize that like it's basically combining the principles of of like Video gaming and choose your own adventure with sitting there and watching television and using a remote control So it's kind of cool the way that it's evolved. I think it's it's really interesting.
0: Well, I was very interested by um, our editor editor slash animator slash whatever else he does Andre here his conversation he was talking about how he doesn't have time to get into a new game, so he just watches uh, clips of other people playing so that mm-hmm. he gets an idea of what the, where the storyline has gone. So that was news to me that people would do such a thing. In that case, it is really no different from Bandersnatch.
3: Here's a little history lesson in video games. Um, so we need um, that's, that's what we been brought around, you here for, Mark. That's been around for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to watch people play Halo back in the day, back in like high school and college, and I actually used to record myself and have people watch me. <laughs> And we would create little things like montages and, and stuff like that, but so it's, that's, it's kind of been around for a bit. That's like the birthplace of Twitch. I think so, yeah. Yeah.
0: But I was under the impression that you were watching for, you know, to, to glean insights from that person's skill. Andre was going on just to see where the storyline's going. I guess it takes it away from being a game at all. It's I guess it,
3: it Yeah. It really depends on what type of video game it is. If it's like a story-based game, like one one player story-based game, then yeah, that's that's why you're watching it but um like if it's any sort of you know versus game then you're watching like purely for the skill and you know it's it's essentially like watching a sport but i guess like would you guys consider
2: like from that standpoint i guess it could be considered like a spectator sport but like a game like hq do you consider that a video game no why not
1: i don't know cuz it's just trivia
3: yeah i like I guess video game is pretty loosely defined. So it's like yes and no. It's the same It's the same kind of argument. Like, would you call ping pong a sport? Right. Right. Like some that, people would I, say I, yes, some people would say no. I don't know if that's an equivalent argument. You don't think so?
0: No. I, I mean, yes, I do. But ping pong is definitely a sport. <laughs> I, mean, <maybe> I, just, <laughs> I, I completely agree. I was not agree. expecting that to go that no, I completely I was, agree. I was just getting defensive about ping pong. No, but actually though... Um, I think it's just the digital element that's involved with HQ that would make it a video game. Aside from that, it is just trivia, right? So
2: mm-hmm. but then if you so Bandersnatch isn't a video game, then it's a it's a choose your own adventure story. Right. So I guess I guess the, the it's it's interesting to kind of chronicle the evolution of video games to where we are now with technology because really that's what's blending everything together. Mm-hmm. Is this concept of games and playing with friends and experiencing stories together. Um, as a a particular character within a narrative, if that's the type of game that you're playing. And then the technology that kind of puts you into that world and how you can experience it, which is super interesting as to why companies like Google and Apple are getting into it now, because they realize that not only are there platforms for communication and entertainment, but they're to bring people together. And gaming is a very natural next step to do that.
1: Yeah, I definitely think that... Like, the, the reason the blurred lines exist around what is a video game is because interactive entertainment looks like so many different things. Um, but it really is that interactive element that is what is going to be around to stay for a while and what's making people realize, like, oh, this is the way things are going. People, I mean, captive audiences and, like, just wanting to sit back and watch something I think will also always be a thing. But interactive entertainment is continuing to be more mainstream. And it's just getting better. Like we were talking about the storylines, how Andre wanted to figure out like the way that the story went. That's the way that video games has like completely taken off as it's just these cinematic masterpieces that you want to be captivated by the story. And we mentioned this before, but uh, like people say, oh, long form is dead. But when it's beautifully done and it's interactive, you can be engaged for hours and hours at a time. People will play video games. So.
2: I also think that, it, that the artistic side of everything, with the help of technology, is, is really helping with the stigma of video games as well. Like Nick mentioned before, you, like, when you played a summer's worth of Super Mario Brothers, you felt like you wasted a, a summer doing that. Now, um, for one, it could be considered training, like we were mm-hmm. talking about, because you could essentially become a professional gamer. Uh, but at the same time, there's such pieces of art now, you could consider it cultural. Totally. And also, I think when I was talking about that, it was,
0: well, first of all, I was 10 years old, so it was a bygone era. But um, it felt like if I was practicing guitar or practicing hockey, I could take those skills into the tangible world a lot more easily. I don't know, for the most part, I guess, again, unless you're like a drone operator or something like that you would be able to transfer your video game skills into the tangible world, but there's so many other outlets now that there's, you know, personalities have exploded out of gaming. That's just, you know, one more example of a way that you can take the skills that you've learned and transfer them into something that's a little more applicable to your work life.
3: And it can be a little bit more abstract than that too. Like I personally, like I used to play video games a lot and that actually kind of led me in the career path that I took. Um, and like you can, I don't know, I used to be interested in like, the branding of video games and like the UI elements going on within the game itself. And now I do design and UI design and branding design and stuff. So like, yeah, I think th- there is a place for it. That's Unless you int- get addicted to it. Of course. That's
2: a really interesting way of looking at it in terms of like the it's, it's helping people understand a visual language on how things work because for a lot of the times, um, I mean, gaming is based on a set of commands and understanding symbols and understanding like when, when you take one action, it affects another. That's very easily transferable to what we do from a UX perspective. Mm-hmm.
0: Absolutely. And we actually talked about that in our weekly blog, The Weekly Wins, a few weeks back. Uh, I said the word week a lot of times in that last <laughs> sentence. But um, yeah, it was about employers looking for those applicable skills that gamers have, such as they're, they're very spry in a digital environment, so you throw something new at
3: them as a challenge and they love figuring it out, for instance. Even last week or the week before, Ivana was looking over uh, Ksenia, our design intern's shoulder, um, and she wanted her to move move up the page to see what was going on above the design work that she had currently on her screen. And I overheard Ivana say, look up. And that's, cl- like, clearly, I, l- I looked over and I was like, Ivana, you play a lot of video games, don't you? Because that, that's, like, a gaming term. But even, like, navigating through any sort of something on a screen, like, you know, you know kind of what you're doing, which is, I don't know, obviously a really good skill to have. Definitely. If you find yourself
0: in this particular environment. Mm-hmm.
3: Construction site, not so much. Yeah, maybe so not it really so depends where you go. Police force, maybe. Mm, again, drone <laughs>
0: operator, maybe, like, scuba Operator, <laughs> <laughs> operator of things
3: of, of
2: things, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess that kind of leads up to the next question: is like so, gaming has made its way into certain aspects of, of our lives and, and industries, and thus. Uh, but like, what does the future of this really look like?
1: Well, the two biggest pieces of news I have dropped recently is Apple Arcade, which is basically um, a subscription service for games. And my understanding is it's mostly um, like mobile games just kind of like they have now the app store but creating a subscription service where there'll be hundreds available at launch and then ideally monthly a bunch of new ones and you'll get them in your feed every month if you subscribe um, and then there's Google Stadia which is basically taking video games uh, fully into the cloud so streaming games you don't need to buy hardware you don't need to download games it's all online um which is great i think for making it more accessible and introducing new people to gaming nick maybe this will be for you <laughs> <Maybe>. <laughs> um but i but i am interested to see how how it works at the beginning because like i mean bandwidth is obviously a concern right so mm-hmm. i don't know what kind of games are going to be on there like is it going to be the same that's on playstation and xbox in terms of like Visual effects and like the beauty of them. I don't know.
3: Well, they did promise 4k 60 frames a second. I think Oh, yeah, so That's we'll the see. plan. Yeah. So yeah, I mean I think crossed. Yeah
2: It's a really interesting time at this point for streaming entertainment as a whole um, Just f- talking about bandwidth right because everything's coming through the like the idea of hardware is going to become ancient history within a few years at this point mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I don't know I don't I think that's good to be honest. I think access to things like, like games and entertainment is huge for people. Um, I think, go ahead. As, as per
0: the future of gaming, um, so I'm gonna preface this by saying that I'm the one here, sitting here that doesn't know much about gaming. I'm not a gamer, I'm on the outside of this world. So I was a little bit shocked when I was at the CBC studios just for you know, a different reason. And it looked like a sporting event was happening. There was
3: teams coming out and being interviewed Throngs of fans. Yeah, man I used, to, I used to do that in college. That was like my thing I would go to the MLG the major league gaming tournaments
1: major
0: league gaming I saw yeah. the
3: studio doors open up and it looked like a set from
0: UFC yeah mm-hmm. fans all around lights uh, smoke and uh,
1: and millions of online viewers millions
0: mm-hmm. of online viewers Nick Kiprios was there of Toronto Maple Leafs fan fame uh like doing color commentary. And I was just like, this is a world that I didn't even know, uh, exist. I knew it existed. I suppose I just like to see it in person. I was like, well, that's where gaming is at right now. I suppose.
2: I think it's fair to say that, that professional gaming is no longer on the rise. Like it's here. And if you don't recognize it as a viable entertainment option, you're living in the past.
0: You know, what's funny though, Scott, I think that it's definitely here. And there's obviously a huge swath of the population that, uh, You know enjoys it but it's still not on your you know it's not on tsn or sportsnet um, because it does
3: have a tsn channel actually but it's not obviously not tsn1 it's like tsn8 or whatever they've they've got it as
2: and also i didn't say sport right it's a piece of entertainment and those who consume this type of entertainment would much rather stream it than try to go find it on a cable network right so that's what I mean. Like I, that, that's where I, I feel like video game is... It's, it's interesting that you bring that up because it's, it is actually, ironically, blurring the lines between sport and entertainment mm-hmm. is its video games, which is super cool. It is cool. As like a fat kid. <laughs> so.
0: Yeah, I mean... It, it's because it had all of the trappings of a sporting event, but it's not really a sporting event, so it's sort of interesting in that way. It's
2: a spectator event, though. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, it, it gets crowds involved. I mean, there's like Mivana was saying, there's millions of people watching at home on this thing. I mean, for all for as intense as as the as the actual crowd was for that, it's these things are broadcast online. That's what they're actually meant for. It's for people to sit there and kind of watch and and cheer along with their you know against the people that they don't like and with their teams. So it's it's very much a spectator entertainment piece.
0: You know what I gotta say about it, which is like. Might sound silly, but uh, it was pretty heartwarming watching these kind of dorky kids be like superstars and be interviewed, and like they all wore the same like uniforms and stuff, and they all had like a battle cry or something like
1: that. I yeah, like- <laughs> I mean, I guess, and again,
2: I think it goes back to the stigma, right, and the evolution of gaming and how how it's becoming a lot more accepted. Um, is like we used to just think that like brooding athletes could wear letterman jackets and be part of a team but it's not like that you could have like the skinniest weirdest looking person who's just an absolute wizard at a particular game and they can generate their own fan base and and become their own superstar
1: and to take that a layer further from my perspective i mean i don't watch a lot of gamers but um I mentioned Jenna Marbles before, and she has like a gaming channel with her boyfriend, and she's not like a pro at, by any means. It's more just for the entertainment of it. But she had a really good kind of monologue one time where she was just talking to the camera, and she explained how gaming as an industry is really cool for women because, like, when you look at sports, like, just physically, you have to separate men and women. It makes sense. Like, there's capabilities there that can't compete necessarily. But it doesn't, there's no limitations when it comes to video games. Mm -hmm. Like a female could destroy a a guy in a game in the same way. You know what I mean? And like, that's really exciting for me. Like when I think of like little girls, because she was making a point how when you're playing a video game and like you hear a female voice come on if if you're like playing with discord or whatever automatically they might get made fun of or whatever but hopefully that's also transitioning into Mm -hmm. as gaming becomes more accessible and more mainstream it's gonna be the same for like there's not gonna be a gender divide too
0: yeah that's super interesting i had not considered that but also thinking back on that day uh at cbc it was mostly boys or Mm -hmm. young males um i don't know why but you're right there should be no divide there
3: i i had two girls on my team in halo like for probably two years or so, and the one, like, took off. And I don't know if you ever saw that show, King of the Nerds. Yeah, It was on TBS. She, like, won King of the Nerds um, and was, like, on Conan O'Brien and stuff. Like, it's it's pretty cool wow, what, she, what she's done. But we would always get, like, media coverage because we had a girl on our team, so it was, like, a big deal.
0: Maybe... The- most women just don't have the same bizarre adolescent male desire to shoot and kill things. <laughs> I, I, I think Perhaps.
2: you're right though. I do think it, it comes down to the types of games um, that are in sort of the competitive arena for that. Um, which, and, and they are opening those up a lot. like the in terms of competitions and, and uh, sort of gaming accolades. Um, They're sort of the big ones like League of Legends and Starcraft and Fortnite and all that stuff But then if you kind of look a little bit deeper, there's lots of competitions on, on tons of other games And I think that's that's a tricky thing to kind of try to pigeonhole gaming into is like we automatically think of it's You kill things in video games. There's some great games out there that have nothing to do with any of that They're all based in story. They're all based in art. They're all based in math um super nerdy stuff um but i think that's the that's the coolest part about the evolution of where gaming is going especially with technology
1: yeah and especially with like these new platforms where they're promising an insane amount of quantity there's going to be so many options where again like people will be able to find their thing the thing that the kind of games that they like
0: so here's a tough question for us how can marketers get involved with the world of gaming? And actually, there's an addendum to that, should marketers get involved with the world of gaming?
2: Well, we talked a little bit about the uh, MLG, and and that's treated in in my mind similar to NASCAR, okay. where you know teams get sponsored, and their jerseys will have a logo on it for like a really, like cool keyboard or, like, a a type of processor. Like, I think from a marketing standpoint, there's a lot of potential there. I think we're just scratching the surface, though. So um, I know you guys are all heavy Fortnite players, right? (laughs) (laughs) Like, cringe. (laughs) Probably not. Um, But, like, Fortnite basically sells characters for brands. So they had, like, a Marvel character at one point in there. And, like, people can go on there and they can play as them. And that's an interesting way of kind of marketing with within a game
0: cool so i mean you mentioned sort of like slapping brands right on players like their prize ponies and or you know marvel sponsoring a character Mm -hmm. but marvel seems like a very um easy transition like it's an easy jump into that world do you think we could see a space where you know brands that would normally have nothing to do with that can jump in and still seem authentic
2: i don't see why not and the reason why i say that is because they're, the types of games that are out there vary so much, right? Like, again, like I, it doesn't make sense for, like, Tide to go in there and sponsor Street Fighter, although that would be pretty funny.
0: That's what I mean. Why yeah. not?
2: <laughs> but, I mean, if there if there was a game where it made sense, uh, you know, if it was... I know there's, like, a lot of little mobile games where, you know, you have to... It's, like, Burger Time, where you have to, like, assemble a burger. If there was something that where you had to wash clothes, and Tide makes sense for that, right? But, I mean... If Tide sponsored Street Fighter, I,
0: admittedly it would look kind of silly, but would you just get used to it? I mean, you remember in, in the 90s when uh, in hockey, for instance, maybe a weird analogy to bring into hockey, but why not? Um, and all of a sudden there was branding splashed all around the ice surface, like on the boards, on the players, and it looked bizarre. And there was a backlash about it for like a minute. And then everyone was just like, okay, well, the game's the game. Mm-hmm. Sure, that's fine. No problem. So, Well, in, have like a, the,
3: in the European yeah. sense of hockey, like they, they all have logos blasted all over their jerseys and everything.
0: Covered in stuff. Yeah. So if you have, you know, Ryu wearing uh, a Tide shirt, <laughs> you're just like, okay, well, Ryu's still doing his thing.
3: Yeah,
2: for sure. I think you're right, though. I think, yeah, yeah, we would probably become numb to it after a little while. Shock value and then get over it. I mean, that's kind of the way that sponsorship goes. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think there's a ton of opportunity from a brand standpoint in going beyond sponsorship, especially with gaming things like you can sponsor entire games. You can sponsor leagues. You can sponsor levels. Um, you can create characters. There's just a lot of stuff that you can do. Um, if you think beyond just kind of like, I want to put my logo all over this game.
1: Yeah. Like we were talking about before product placement that can exist within worlds on games, um, obviously influencer marketing is huge in the world of video games. There's so many gamers on YouTube and Twitch that have crazy, huge followings that trust them and, um, you can sponsor them to have their pro- your product featured.
3: But even from like a standpoint of somebody watching someone else game too, like all these different platforms like Twitch and the YouTube version, whatever it's called. Um, like it's not just advertising to the person playing the game. Like now you're advertising to everybody watching someone play the game right and all those chats and everything like there's so much there's just so much space there to advertise as well
1: i think it just comes to as a marketer um and as the world of entertainment video games and all of these different kind of platforms merge and mix like you just have to be in the know and like aware of all the different opportunities and where audiences are spending their time and looking for sure
0: yeah and i kind of feel like i'm playing both sides here by saying that people will just get used to it but also you have to know when you can step in and where without you know generating backlash because mm-hmm. if you do it wrong you might not get a chance to come back from that misstep
2: that's a that i think that's an overall like a like a branding question too though right it says i think from a category standpoint um all brands should consider the possibility of working in the video game space And then from there, determining what category of video game makes sense for them. And then also being open to the fact, like you said, Nick, that maybe you just need to moonwalk out of there. Because if it feels forced, don't do it. I'm super interested in kind of the, um, not only just sort of like the potential of marketing, but also how accessible it is now to create games. Um, So, Nick, I know you're a bit of an independent filmmaker yourself. And when you get an idea, your first instinct is to, I'm just going to go make it. So like I I think that probably within a few years that's going to apply to video games. To say, you know what, this Spider-Man video game's not cutting it for me. I would come up with a better game and, and it'll be instinctual for people to just go and say, I can make this now. There's tools out there. I I've, I've learned a, like a base of a, a learned a code base that can help me get there. Um, so I think from a creator standpoint it's really it's really going to open doors as well.
0: That's really interesting. I had not considered that. I mean the idea of creating a video game seems like it would be take exceptional skills.
2: It does. Um, but, I mean, like we were talking about last week, everybody's learning to code a little bit earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the learning curve for these things is being lowered significantly for that exact reason. Is because video games, just like movies used to be before, how people were like, well, I could never make a video.
3: Well, yeah, you can use it. You, everybody can make a video right now. I mean, I just
2: don't see it being that much different in the future.
3: Totally. Yeah, there's no like, well, I'm sure there's some indie games that are popular, um, but like, it's not really like a genre of video game that kind of blows up, I guess, is like, I don't know, you're like a fan of indie movies, right, Nick? Sure am. So who's to say that there won't be like, you know, indie video game fans in the future? Are, do those exist currently? I mean, probably, I but so. like the massive amount of,
2: of indie
0: video
3: yeah.
1: games yeah. out there. Yeah. Steam is really big on, on indie games. Okay. Cause like, um, when Google Stadia announced their thing, I was like, this is kind of like steam, but I guess steam, you still have to download the games. Um, but it's, again, it's like steam is a small example of a more accessible platform where smaller creators can create their games. And maybe it may never be go mainstream, but it's the same as creators, like the the communities that find those games and love those games, they are so devoted and dedicated right. so much so that if that creator decides to go to another one or if they want to go create a Patreon and get people to fund them making another game, like they have that backing. Right. right, It's like a smaller community, but it's tight and dedicated versus like mainstream. Right.
2: It does resemble the independent film community, yeah. to be honest. And in terms of like you make a name for yourself independently and then all of a sudden a big studio throws some money at you and you get that chance to make the big one.
0: That's just harkens back to everything that I've been thinking throughout this whole thing where it's like massive and niche at the same time. It's like huge and invisible somehow. Respect the hustle. All right. And we're back for our roundtable of amazing picks from the recent digital era, meaning the last week. And who's going first? (laughs) (laughs) Mark's going first.
3: So I started watching Game of Thrones maybe three weeks ago. So I'm all about Game of Thrones now. Me too. So so mine's definitely about Game of Thrones. Um, It's always weird with those latecomers. Like
0: discover Game of Thrones. (laughs) Guilty. Yeah. And then you go into a Game of Thrones
3: rabbit hole. I was one of those, but a lot more. I was like season four maybe when that happened to me. But are you jealous of me? Because I still haven't seen season six or seven. Season seven kind of sucks, but, oh. uh, but yes, take. a little bit. Hot take. I am a little bit jealous of that amazing time in my life when I got to watch all <laughs> everything. Kind of everything too. was new again. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyways, this is super quick. Um, Maisie Williams went on Jimmy Fallon. So she, if you don't know, she's Arya in Game of Thrones. And she, air quotes, accidentally drops a spoiler um, saying that Arya dies, which she doesn't. Um, but she just plays it off. Like she, she fakes the, the, the spoiler and she kind of has like a a little panic freak out, a fake one, but she's such a good actor that like, even on April fools, I was convinced that she was being dead serious, um, for, for about a split second. I mean, I'm pretty savvy with this stuff, but like she was really good. Um, and Jimmy was also amazing. Um, and yeah, it it generated 6.9 million views and probably a ton of new game of Thrones watchers because she's very charismatic and
2: yeah i i respect hbo and game and game of thrones so much because and not necessarily for what you might think they waited until the very last second to completely sell out and that is so smart they are sponsoring mount they're getting sponsored by mountain dew oreo cookies they're now doing they're doing everything it's the last year give them all the money you can (laughs) so smart
3: it's a beast
1: so it's not a spoiler, but it kind of is a spoiler? Now it's we not. Know, but now we know she doesn't?
3: No, yeah, now you know she doesn't die, which is good. <laughs> or at least you know she doesn't die in episode two, which is what she uh, says specifically. Okay. Um, but yeah, just the way she acts, when she, she kind of like gasps and like, oh, is this live? And like her hands are shaking, and it just looks very legit. Aww. And she like runs off stage. <laughs> And then they come back, obviously, and it's like, April Fool's. But, and then you're like, oh, yeah, it's April 1st. Nice.
1: Fun. I'll watch that. Yeah.
3: So as per our, our last uh,
0: incarnation of Virgin Control, April Fool's jokes done right, this was one that That's nailed it. That's a good it. one, yeah. All right. Very and cool. Mark,
2: as the viewer, did not mind getting duped. No, not at all. No, he seems to really
0: have enjoyed it in a weird way. I think he might be a bit of a masochist. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Moving
0: on. <laughs> Scott, what do you got?
2: I have, in honor of... Pre-sale tickets for Avengers Endgame finally going on sale. Um, this tends to happen a lot, so it happened during Star Wars, and it happens during a lot of the Marvel, the big Marvel movies. Um, but a lot of people who are suffering from terminal illnesses really, really want to see these movies, and uh, it just I totally respect Disney and Marvel for kind of allowing some of these people who unfortunately are going to pass away see their properties before they go it's it's not their like dying wish or anything but they would just really like to do it and they're very open um to to allowing that to happen um because they 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 didn't have to and you know they kind of looked into it and they said you know what it's it, at the end of the day it, it reminds me that even disney and marvel realize that it's just a, it's just a movie
0: so i hate to be the uh cynic here but pr stunt or actual altruism what do you think
1: both. It's Both. a win-win.
0: Right. I guess it's fine with it's a it's win-win. It's
1: so sad and, and good at the same time.
2: Yeah. Sad and good. It's sad, obviously. But I think it's good that, again, they they recognize that there's like, well, we're not going to show you what makes you special. And it's like, no, it's a movie, guys. Like, it, it of course mm-hmm. they can watch it.
1: Mm-hmm. That's cool. awesome. Nice cool. one. Good job, Marvel and Disney. My respect for the hustle this week is Lego... Lego is such a fun brand. Um, I've always loved Lego. We talked about them last week, and their uh, April Fool's prank last year was the vacuum organizer. And then this year, just a couple days ago, they had a. Their prank was a um, Lego Finder. It was like an AR app that you could scan your pile of Legos and it would pick out that piece that's so hard to find. Anyway, they're always clever, they're always innovating, and their latest. Um, kind of new line of products is called spike prime i don't know what the name comes from kind of seems weird to me but the idea is it's basically a new version of their other line of products called mindstorms which is for a little bit older audiences um and it's introducing coding to kids again just like sesame street so it's basically a lego set that you can do simple programming and coding uh, make robots make things move and it's also been designed to be very gender neutral which is awesome like it's not you know geared really really towards boys and neither is it towards girls so i just respect lego for adapting and and recognizing that this has a place on the market um their goal for it is for it's kind of expensive but you get a lot in the kit but it would make tons of sense for like classrooms to have this um so yeah i just i love lego
2: I love Lego too. And that was always the only thing I wish it could do is move. There you go. Cause you'd <laughs> spend all that time building or getting my dad to build it for me. <laughs> and then you're like being it finished and, and
3: now what? Well, well now you're an adult and you can purchase this on your own. I'm sure. It's true. You or should, I could should.
2: just ask Andre to build it for me like yeah. I
3: did with Voltron in the office
2: here.
0: <laughs> all right. Very cool. cool. So mine is kind of not digital, but also kind of digital. Uh, so it's about this woman named Bailey Hikawa who makes custom-built phone cases that have just been blowing up, basically. And so she charges 100 to 300 dollars. And her most famous uh, design, which is relatively new, but people are going nuts for it, looks like a plinko game. Seems like it could be a little bit uncomfortable, but they act as a stand and or uh, you slip your fingers in like you would with a pop socket. The reason I find this or have chosen to talk about this. As a respect to hustle, is someone has taken one of these devices that we see around us all the time and still found a way to be innovative about them. <laughs> um, and it's in a physical space, which you might think, what else can be done with the phone that we would find, you know, that w- w- would add to it? Uh, and I think the same was with the pop socket when I saw that happen. I thought, who thought of that the first time? Great idea. Love how things are moving along. And uh, Yeah, that's about it. These just make me
3: mad though because it's like why didn't I think of this?
0: (laughs) Well, that's the thing, but she also she worked as a production designer in theater and on film sets and then uh, Started making these in her spare time people really dug them. So she jumped out and took the plunge on it But yeah, pretty simple, right? But it's things like that that I really enjoy the innovation of you know It's simple. It's so simple that it's perfect
2: so I, I think it's awesome. The only thing that gives me a little bit of hesitation is the price. So they're yeah. like hundred over $100 for a phone case. But now that I know a little bit more of how it's like a real maker and it's not Gucci that's making this thing, um, I think that's fine. Like it's a it's a piece of art. You should that's pay the for thing.
0: it. That's the thing. But the price is a real problem uh, because I think that she's got about a hot minute before someone just starts mass manufacturing these in China. Yes. But, you know, I like it while while it's there and hopefully she or someone like her is smart and creative enough to come up with the next thing that's going to make us uh, enjoy our phones even more than we already do. Thanks for listening to Version Control, episode 45. The future of gaming. All noobs welcome. If you like what you've heard, don't forget to rate us on iTunes.